Take your Bibles with me, uh, open them this morning to Matthew chapter 2, we'll pick up where we left off last week looking at these uh, Christmas characters. Last week we looked at the adoptive father of Jesus, Joseph, that carpenter from Nazareth. This week we look at a very different character altogether, a man named Herod who was the supposed king of Judea at the time of Jesus' birth. We're going to be in Matthew 2, essentially verses 1 through 18. We'll read verses 1 through 9, and then we'll skip over a bit that we'll look at next week, uh, and then pick up in verses 12 through 18. The Greek philosopher Plato is alleged to have said that the measure of a man is what he does with power. You want to know who a man really is? Give him power and see, see what he does with it. Lord Acton said, and you know this quote, power tends to corrupt, and absolute power corrupts absolutely. Great men are almost always bad men, Lord Acton said. The word of the Lord, God's word, in Proverbs 26, verse 12 says, Do you see a man who is wise in his own eyes? There is more hope for a fool than there is for him. The character of Herod is a man of power and a man of arrogance. He's a man who thinks much of himself and much of the power that he has amassed for himself. And the kind of character that Herod has is on full display for us in Matthew chapter 2. What we have to glean from Herod's life, the main idea of our time in God's Word today is this, that Herod reveals the spiritual danger of power and arrogance. Herod reveals for us the spiritual danger of power and arrogance. In light of this, we hope, I hope that we will find that Christmas, this time of Christmas, celebrating Christ's birth, gives us fresh opportunity to search our hearts and to repent of pride and arrogance that we may ourselves be holding on to in a way that Herod displays most visibly. Let's look at this character of Herod as God's Word portrays him and tells us uh, about his interaction at the Christmas story. Stand with me, if you would, as you're comfortably able, as we honor God by reading from His Word. We'll start in Matthew chapter 2, verse 1, and we'll go through verse 9 and pick up in 12 through 18. There we read that, Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men, or magi from the east, came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose, and we have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and the scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. They told him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet. And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judea, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel." Then Herod summoned the wise men, the magi, secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child, and when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. After listening to the king, they went on their way. Move with me down to verse 12. And those wise men, those magi being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, After visiting the Christ child, they departed to their own country by another way. Now when they had departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Rise, take the child and his mother, and flee to Egypt, and remain there until I tell you. For Herod is about to search for the child to destroy him. 
And he rose and took the child and his mother by night and departed to Egypt and remained there until the death of Herod. This was to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet out of Egypt. I called my son. Then Herod, when he saw that he had been tricked by the wise men, became furious. And he sent and killed all the male children in Bethlehem and in all that region who were two years old or under, according to the time he had ascertained from the wise men. Then was fulfilled what was spoken by the prophet Jeremiah. A voice was heard in Ramah, weeping and loud lamentation, Rachel weeping for her children. She refused to be comforted because they are no more. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Herod reveals for us, the second of the Christmas characters we're considering this year, this Christmas season, reveals for us the spiritual danger of power and arrogance, of power and pride. It may help us to look at the person of Herod historically first. Who was Herod? We ask the same question about Joseph. Uh, unfortunately, with Joseph, all of the information we have about him historically comes only from the Bible, and there's not a lot of information there. But there is a lot of information about Herod, this supposed king of Judea, from even outside of Scripture also. So who is Herod? Well, he is, and I put this in scare quotes, king of Judea. We see that in chapter 2, verse 1. That's how Matthew introduces him. The days of Herod the king. Now, Herod being king of Judea is not as simple as it might sound. Herod was a half-Jewish, half-Idumean king. Idumea is the area south of Judea where Esau's descendants came from. You remember Jacob and Esau from uh, Genesis, those two twins who struggled together in their mother's womb and who were at constant odds with one another, even through their adult life. Eventually, they were able to reconcile. Uh, but Jacob inherits, uh, uh, Jacob's name is, is uh, changed to Israel, and he uh, sort of inherits the promise of God that was first to Abraham and now through Jacob, whose name is Israel. And Esau was sort of sent off, not necessarily cursed by God, but Jacob and Esau, the Israelites and the Edomites are kind of natural enemies. There's tension between them for a long time. Well, Herod comes from one of each. He's half Jewish, half Edomian. His father was Antipater and his father Antipater was a friend of Julius Caesar. You know that name. Emperor of Rome, who made Antipater the procurator, kind of the governor of the area of Judea. So Herod's father was the governor of that area of Judea. Herod himself was good friends with Mark Antony of Antony and Cleopatra. So you're starting to see all this historical stuff come together. And Herod leveraged his political friendships with Mark Antony and and the other political ties that his family had with Rome in order to receive the kingship, if you will, of Judea. Now, he was named king of Judea, but in order to prove himself as king, he had to take and conquer the rest of that area by military force. And that he did with ruthless aggression. Herod, this Herod the Great, reigned from 37 B.C. until his death in 4 B.C. Now, you're going, wait a minute. If Herod died before zero, the year zero or 1 AD or whatever, does that mean that Jesus wasn't born at zero? And the answer is yes, probably so. Jesus was probably born around 6 BC or so, between 6 and 4 BC. And don't let that freak you out, okay? Medieval uh, scholars are the ones who put together our current calendar that we have today, and they were off by a couple of years, no big deal. <laughs> Seriously, don't, don't let it worry you, okay? 
So Herod reigned from 37 BC to 4 BC. And during that time, during the time of his reign, he restored the temple in Jerusalem, that temple that was rebuilt by, uh, by, uh, uh, well, by the Jews who, who returned to Jerusalem from exile in Babylon. We read about that in Ezra earlier this year. He took that temple and, and restored it to great grandeur. Now, Herod, being a friend of of the Romans and loving Greek culture, he embellished the temple with all sorts of Greek architecture. And in fact, he built other Greek things throughout uh, the area of Judea, amphitheaters and theaters and places for people to gather and to meet, all in very Greek fashion. He embraced all of these Greek social norms and social mores. Herod was half Jewish, half Idumean, but he was socially and culturally a Greek. His closeness to Rome and to Roman culture led him to impose oppressive taxes upon the people of Judea and forced labor upon the people that he ruled over. He's trying to maintain power and close relationship with those people in Rome. And the best way that he knew to do that was to keep the people oppressed. Herod, ever the uh, political expedient, expediently political man, married 10 different women over the course of his life in order to consolidate power with whom he had several different children. Herod is a king of Judea, but he doesn't come in the line of David. He's not a rightful king. He's half Jewish, half Edomite. He loves all things Greek. We find also that Herod is Jewish in name only. He may be the king of Judea, but he's only a nominal Jew. He's only Jew in name alone. Now, Herod would worship in the temple in Jerusalem that he had rehabilitated and and restored. But at the same time, he also built temples to pagan gods all around Judea. How could a faithful Jew as king over Judea be this kind of person who worships in the temple of the one true God and yet also build temples to pagan gods all throughout the area? In his bid to become king of Judea, Herod wiped out the Hasmonean priestly family who had been ruling in Judea since the, uh, 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 since, uh, since the people of Judea had pushed out their previous Greek and Seleucid rulers around 140 BC. There was this uh, uh, a Jewish family known as the Hasmoneans who had priestly ties and they put one of their own on a throne as king and they had pushed out the, the Greeks and the Seleucids who ruled there before them. Well, Herod came in, killed all the Hasmoneans and consolidated power for himself on the throne. The emperor, the Roman emperor, Greek emperor Pompey, conquered Judah in 63 BC. These Hasmoneans that Herod eventually wiped out continued with influence and priestly leadership until Herod took the throne. Herod, again, wanting to consolidate power, being a Jew in name only, not not really caring to worship, but but just only to to rule, he married a Hasmonean princess whose name was Mariamne, in order to legitimize his rule. So he married a Hasmonean so as to say, hey, I'm, I'm okay to be king. But after he married this Hasmonean princess, uh, he killed every other Hasmonean male that he could find in order to consolidate his power again. Herod had two sons with Mariamne, his Hasmonean wife, and he even killed them so that they wouldn't be able to claim Hasmonean right to the throne of Judea. Herod was a king, in scare quotes, sort of, of Judea. His, his authority was ultimately under the authority of Rome, so he's really not a king in his own right. 
And he was Jewish, but Jewish only in name. He didn't really care. There was no sincerity of worship, sincerity of faithfulness to God. That's who Herod was. What is Herod like? We get a lot of clues to what Herod is like in the passage that we read just this morning. First, we see from chapter 2, verse 3, that Herod is paranoid. Wise men come to Jerusalem saying to Herod, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? We saw a star when it rose and we've come to worship him. And verse 3 says that when Herod, the king, heard this, he was troubled. That word means deeply distressed. He was messed up mentally about this news of a king that was born in Judea. Now, if Herod were a proper Jew, a devout Jew, he would have known and cared about the promises of a Messiah, of a king in the line of David that would come to sit on the throne. And he would have been excited about the birth of the Messiah, right? If he were a Jew in more than name only. But Herod isn't. He's not excited about the news of a king who is born. He's troubled. He's disturbed. Why? Well, because he's the king. Here we see in Scripture what history confirms, that Herod was constantly looking over his shoulder for those who would seek to threaten his rule. Herod is the kind of guy who will hold on to power no matter what it takes and no matter who he has to kill. He's paranoid. So when he hears news about a king who's been born, he sees that as a threat to the power that he's already consolidated for himself. Well, I've got to find this king. We've got to do something about this. Herod is paranoid. Herod is also deceptive. We see this in verses 8 and in verse 12. Those magi, those wise men who come from the east, who we'll look at a little bit in, in more detail next week, they come and they say, hey, we want to see this one who was born king of the Jews. We saw a star rise in the night sky, and we've come here to find him. And Herod says, oh, yeah, 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 me too, me too. Go. Verse 8, go find him. Find the child, and when you found him, bring me word too, so that I can come and so I can come and worship him also. Herod's desire to go worship the Christ child is not genuine. We know that because the wise men are warned in a dream by God not to return to Herod because he's going to he, he's he's at something. There's 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 a, a sneaky play, a sneaky plot afoot, and so they go back to their own country by a different way, not uh, uh, not through where Herod was. Herod calls the Magi and wants them to point him to the Christ child, but he has no intent to actually worship him. In fact, he has every intent to do the opposite. Now you can imagine, can't you? knowing Herod's paranoia, knowing all that he's done to amass and to consolidate and hold on to the power that he has, knowing his murderous past of killing many of his sons and other people who could potentially have a rightful claim to the throne, that perhaps Herod has played this game before. Maybe Herod, suspicious of one of his many sons who may be plotting, or he thinks in his paranoia, plotting to take over his position as king, maybe calling one of his generals in and saying to his general, hey, you know, I haven't seen that one son of mine in a while. How about you go bring him to me and, uh, and, and I just want to have a talk with him. Right? You, could, you could see Herod playing this deceptive game with people in power around him in order to, to perhaps lure others into a trap where their lives would be ended so that Herod could hold on to his precious, precious throne. 
He's paranoid. He's deceptive. He will lie, cheat, and steal whatever he has to do to maintain power as king of Israel. He's paranoid. He's deceptive. We see in verses 16 and 17 of our passage today that he is a violent tyrant. Herod would have been content to kill Jesus alone in order to prevent him from taking Herod's throne. He, in verses 16 and 17, when he saw that he'd been tricked by the wise men, he became furious because now he's not able to go find Jesus and kill him. So instead, he sent and killed all the male children in Bethlehem and in all that region who were two years old and under, according to the time that he had ascertained from the wise men. When Herod can't find Jesus, when he's tricked by the wise men, he doesn't think twice about just killing all of the baby boys two years and younger. Think about that. Our son living in our home is 22 months old, almost 23 months old. He would have been a victim of Herod's edict if we'd lived in Bethlehem then. Think about all the things that he can say and do and all of the things that Kai is capable of at 23 months. And his life would have been snuffed out because one crazy man who thought himself a king would have stopped at nothing to maintain power, even if it meant destroying the lives of infant children. Herod is a violent tyrant. This is the absolute worst form of pride and arrogance that will stop at nothing, will stop at no lengths to protect what Herod feels he has rightfully attained for himself. Herod is absolutely mad. He's crazy. I mean, he's, he's worse than a James Bond villain. Psychologists might like very much to attach some sort of diagnosis to Herod. He's a psychopath. He's a sociopath. He's manic. Like he had some sort of mental illness that drove him to these actions. And perhaps at the end of his life, he was seriously mentally ill. I mean, looking not just at what Scripture says, but what also history says about Herod, the dude was just nuts. But it doesn't seem from history that he was always this crazy. Herod wasn't always this nuts. At one time, he was, he was friends with Mark Antony. He was among the, the sort of Roman elite at one time. He wasn't always like this until he attained that position of power and began to think much of himself as king of Judea. That, that, that power-hungry lust for more authority drives him to do inexplicably horrific things in order to hold on to this title of king. Now, while Herod may not have always been this crazy, it does seem from history and from Scripture that Herod was always this full of pride. Herod always thought this much of himself. He may not have been nuts until later, but he was always full of himself. Herod always had a really good impression of Herod. Ultimately, though, Herod's pride results in him rejecting his Savior. We learned last week from Matthew uh, chapter 1, or uh, excuse me, yeah, in chapter 1. 
in the birth of Jesus, that Jesus, who was born, would be the one who would save his people from their sins. Herod is half Jewish. Herod's savior is Jesus. But Herod's pride results in him rejecting his savior. Even so much so that he would be willing to kill this baby so as not to have to give up his position of power and authority. The spiritual danger of Herod's pride and arrogance, his power and arrogance, results in him saying no to Christ and no to salvation. Friend, hear me this morning. Your pride will do the same if you hold on to it like Herod. Last week we saw Joseph, the adoptive father of Jesus, who was a humble, considerate, faithful man, who in light of all that he he, all the trust that he placed in God, received Jesus, this adoptive son of his, conceived by the Holy Spirit, received Jesus as his Savior. But Herod, on the other hand, is paranoid, deceptive, and pridefully violent. He is a tyrant who will have no other king in his life, no one to rule over him, not even the Son of God, not even the Messiah that God promised through his prophets hundreds of years before. Herod's sin brothers and sisters, is a visible and visceral example of what all of us have done in our hearts toward God. You might not be crazy like Herod. You might not be a puppet king like Herod. You might not have killed all of your sons and sons-in-law like Herod. But you and I all have pride like Herod. All of us has at least some area of our lives over which we don't want Christ to be king. Over which we don't want to give power and authority over to Jesus our Savior. This text really messed with me this week as I was thinking about Herod, this, this guy who, who's, who I can just, in my, in, in my imagination, just see him yelling and screaming, spittle just coming out of his mouth, angry, angry and, and, and hateful about the, the thought of a, of a king who would dethrone him. And he'll go to any lengths, any lengths, to make sure that, that Herod alone is king. No one else. And how often do I do that in my own life with little things like how my children respond to me when I ask them to do something? This is my house. I'm the dad. I'm the king. Right? When my dog doesn't heal when I'm walking him down the sidewalk, I'm the owner. I'm the king. When my wife doesn't have everything just exactly as I expected it when I came home. I'm the husband. I'm the king. My co-workers don't show up to work on time. I'm the boss. I'm the king. All of us have this pride. All of us have some area of our life. It may seem silly, but some part of our life over which we do not want Jesus to reign. And we will stop at nothing 
to make sure that Stephen is king. To make sure that I'm on the throne that part of my life. Herod's pride results in him rejecting his Savior. Friend, your pride will do the same if you hold on to it like Herod. Herod is paranoid. Herod is deceptive. He is a violent tyrant. He's a wicked man who out of love for his sin rejects his Savior. But dear friends, Herod, even for all of his wickedness, is a tool in the hands of a sovereign God. He's a tool in the hands of a sovereign God. Chapter 2, verse 15, we read, after Herod is plotting to kill all the children, angel of the Lord appears to Joseph, tells Joseph, take your wife and the child to Egypt. Verse 15 says, they remained there until the death of Herod, and this was to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. And here he quotes from Hosea chapter 11. Out of Egypt I called my son. Here the murderous rage of Herod, which is meant to destroy the Christ, meant to destroy the rightful king, not just of the throne in Israel, but the, right, uh, the, the rightful king of Herod's heart. Herod's murderous rage actually serves to fulfill Scripture. In Hosea 11, verse 1, God's prophet recalls how God rescued his son, Israel, the the, the people of Israel, from slavery in Egypt. And here, Matthew sees in Jesus' flight to Egypt a parallel to the life of Israel. As Jesus, the eternal Son of God, will be called out of Egypt as well. Herod's murderous rage has only served to cause Israel's Messiah to identify with them all the more. For all of Herod's personal, prideful, murderous rejection of the Christ, his actions not only fail to stop God's plan, they actually serve to cause the Messiah to become even that much more closely identified to the people he's come to save. I'm reminded of what Joseph says to his brothers in Genesis chapter 50, verse 20. Joseph was sold into slavery by his brothers because they hated him. He said, as for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. Herod, for all of his murderous, tyrannical rage, can't do anything but fulfill God's word, even in spite of himself. But it's not just there in chapter 2, verse 15. It's also there in chapter 2, verse 18. Now here, this part of fulfillment of Scripture is not particularly positive. It seems rather negative. Herod goes, has all the children in Bethlehem, two years and under, all the boys, two years and under, killed. And in verse 17 we read, Then was fulfilled what was spoken by the prophet Jeremiah. A voice was heard in Ramah, weeping in loud lamentation, Rachel weeping for her children. She refused to be comforted because they are no more. Herod's murder of all these children has disastrous consequences and fulfills the word of Jeremiah, a a deep and and mournful, sad prophecy of Jeremiah, mothers in Judah weeping over the loss of their children. But even the horrifying fulfillment of Jeremiah 31.15, which is where Matthew is citing from then, 
Even that horrifying fulfillment is filled with a ray of hope. Listen to Jeremiah the prophet's words just after that prophecy. Jeremiah 31, 15, Rachel's weeping for her children. She refuses to be comforted for her children because there are no more. Verse 16, thus says the Lord, keep your voice from weeping and your eyes from tears, for there is a reward for your work, declares the Lord. They shall come back from the land of the enemy. There is hope for your future, declares the Lord, and your children shall come back to their own country. Matthew, the gospel writer, certainly intended those who were reading his gospel to mourn with those whose children were senselessly killed and murdered in Bethlehem. But also, Matthew wants his readers to look forward with hope to the Messiah, Jesus, who would bring salvation to his people in spite of Herod's wickedness. Even in the depth of mourning, the the depth of of pain and sorrow and suffering that is caused by the murder of all these children, there is a ray of hope for those whose children had been lost. The Messiah is coming. Hope is on the way. Herod can't do anything to stop it. Herod, for all the power that he had amassed for himself, for all the pride and the arrogance that he had, and for all the people that he had killed to consolidate his throne, is still a tool in the hands of a sovereign God whose plans to send his son to be born in Bethlehem and then to die as a sinless sacrifice for sinners. Herod could do nothing to stop God's plan. He's a tool in the hand of a sovereign God. So, dear friend, if Herod, king of Judea, with all the power that he had, could be used as a tool in the hands of God to do God's will, then so can you. And so will you. So, friend, humble yourself to be used willingly by God. Humble yourself to be used willingly by God. Herod is used by God. But he's used kicking and screaming all the way. Herod is used in spite of himself. You don't need to be. You can humble yourself to be used willingly, to be used joyfully, to be used in a delightful way by God. Those of you who are and have, all of us do, tiny Herods within us who want to hold on to every aspect of power in our life. We need to learn to humble ourselves to be used in those areas of our life by God in ways that not only glorify Him and bring His will to be, of course we want that, but also to do so willingly, to do so joyfully, to rejoice in seeing God work in our lives rather than to to live with hatred and, and arrogance in the face of God for working in spite of us. Humble yourself to be used willingly by God. Some of you, though, struggle more not necessarily with the Herod that lives within you, but maybe the Herod that lives in your house, the Herod that you work with, that tiny tyrant who maybe abusively, maybe violently seeks to control aspects of your life. They want to rule over you because they're king. Some of you have been mistreated. You've been the victims of the violent rage of tiny Herods in your life. Know, dear friend, that even they are tools in the hands of a sovereign God. And even in the midst of suffering and pain that comes from other prideful, arrogant people who are trying to be not only king of their own lives, but king of your life too, 
for you who have been hurt by the tiny Herods that live in your home or, or that you work under. Set your hope this morning in a God, a sovereign God who can bring joy and hope out of destruction, who can bring joy and hope out of suffering who can bring joy and hope out of the pain caused to you by other people who have rejected God and sought to be the sole authority in their life. Here in the second of our Christmas characters, Herod shows us the spiritual danger of power and arrogance. All of us have power over different aspects of our lives. We may not be kings and queens, but there are things that we have power over And all of us can be arrogantly prideful in the way that we hold on to that. Herod's is a very large, a very visible example of the tiny tyrant that lives in each of our hearts. His lust for power, his paranoid jealousy over power leaves him as a horrid and sad example of what pride in every person's heart can ultimately do. So friends, this morning, heed the caution from Herod's life. Humble yourself to receive Jesus as king, whose birth at Christmas was for the purpose of his dying on the cross and being raised from the dead at Easter. This Jesus, who is king of kings and lord of lords and whose rightful throne, whose rightful place is atop your heart, your life, this Jesus when he rules over your life, when you give your life to faith, in faith and in trust to him, this Jesus can rid you of that dangerous pride, the, the, the poison of power and arrogance in your life. He can save you from the destructive power of your spiritual arrogance. Jesus can make you joyfully complicit in the purposes of God. Friend, trust him. Trust him. Humble yourself. Receive him. Trust Jesus who himself was a victim of a tyrant, as you may well be. Trust him who suffered for your sins and was raised from the dead as the ultimate gift of God's love toward you. Let Christ, this child, saved by God's providence in spite of Herod's murderous intentions, let this Christ who died for your sins and was raised in victory over dead redeem what others have sought to destroy in your life. He has made the way for you to know God the Father who takes the evil of others and superintends it to result in His glory and your eternal spiritual good. Herod shows us the spiritual danger of power and arrogance. Let us come into Christmas and receive Jesus, our crucified and risen Savior, with humility and submission and love, and joy for all that he has saved us from and for all that he has saved us for.